We're in a series on the book of John, and we're trying to take a look at one chapter a week, and so that's a challenge. And chapter 11 is one one story, one one moment, and it's a it's a highlight in the moment in the book of John. So I'm going to ask you to prepare yourselves for me to just read through this chapter because I think that will help and aid us in our reflections on the chapter. Uh, John chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? And Jesus answered, Are not there twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, but because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, Jesus said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to waken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was just taking rest and sleep. So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is de- has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the into the world. When she had said this, he went, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were there with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. 
So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that I have heard that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out his hands and feet bound with the linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said to said to the Pharisees, what are we to do for this man performs many signs? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this on his own accord, but being a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into the into one, the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put Jesus to death. Let's pray together. Lord, there's uh, far more in this passage than we could possibly cover. And we are in this passage. Maybe more than one place. All of us are or have been spiritually as dead as Lazarus is in this passage. And without hope, without a divine intervention. We may be like Mary and Martha with questions. Why are you operating the way that you are operating? We could be in unbelief. We sit here, we hear the passage, but this is just a religious thing that someone has attended this morning. It's not something to be believed. It's a story that makes you feel good for six more days. Lord, only you can address the issues in every heart. Pray that you would do that by the explanation of your word. Through your servant this morning in Jesus name. Amen. We've scaled a significant peak here in the gospel of John. And you might recall just the summary of John's gospel back in John chapter 20 at the end of the book. He writes this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life 
in his name. So John's saying, I, I told you in the beginning of the gospel who I thought Jesus was. Then for the next ten or so chapters, I've been giving you one sign after another. And this is the last sign. This is the peak of the signs. And all of the signs are meant to point you to someone, just as a, a sign does. A sign points you to a destination. The sign is an aid to a destination. And the signs is as spectacular as they are, healing Lazarus, healing a blind man, healing a lame man, turning water into wine. All these signs are spectacular, but they fade in comparison to the thing they're pointing to. The sign is helpful. The sign gets you to a destination. But once you've arrived at the destination, the signs just fade away in importance. It'd be like having a postcard of the Grand Canyon. And if you've never been to the Grand Canyon, you can marvel at the postcard. But once you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon, you no longer need a postcard. And so these signs, as marvelous as they are, they're pointing to you pointing you to something far more marvelous. And once you've arrived at that destination, once you've seen these signs and you have arrived at Jesus, then you don't need the signs anymore because the signs have gotten you to the one thing that you must have. And so here we are in John chapter 11, this last sign, and we see the purpose of this sign as well as every other sign in verse 4. This sign is for the glory of God. This sign is pointing to God and to his son, Jesus Christ. And what's spectacular about chapter 11 is not Lazarus coming back from the dead. That's just a sign. What's spectacular about John chapter 11 is Jesus. And if we don't have that down, we're going to leave wanting a sign and not a savior. And that can happen. So as we tackle this important piece, I just want to sort of skip through it and look at uh, this chapter in three sections. Jesus's reaction. He hears the news of Lazarus' death, and then he has an unusual reaction. Then he, he goes, and he has two particular responses, one to Mary, one to Martha, both important. And then the result of bringing Lazarus back from the dead. The, Jesus' reaction, Jesus' response, and then the result. Jesus' reaction, number one, in the first 16 verses. Bethany is a small town. It's on the east side of Jerusalem. If you remember, Jerusalem's built in a mountainous region. The temple is on the top of a mountain and falling away on the east side is a valley. It's called the Kidron Valley. And as you fall away on that east side, there's a great olive grove. And inside that olive grove is a particular garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. And so just on the other side of this valley at the top of the next hill is a small town like Leland outside of Wilmington. Two miles away, if you stand at the top of Bethany, you can easily see over to Jerusalem. We also know that from John chapter 10 and also from this chapter, the last time Jesus was near Jerusalem, he was nearly stoned to death. And so that's why when he's thinking about returning, Thomas says, hey, I don't think that's a good spot. I mean, we we almost all got stoned last time, so let's just avoid going back to Jerusalem and then when Jesus is determined to go back, then Thomas says, OK, you know, if he's going to die, let's, let's go with him. 
And so at least you can, instead of always thinking of Thomas as the doubter, at least at this point, he was trying to rally the troops and say, look, we don't want Jesus to go to his death by himself. Uh, but little did he know what he was saying. Jesus is intentionally keeping some distance here, but he's receives this message from a messenger and it's the message that his beloved friend, Lazarus, is dying. And Jesus has some special relationship that John is trying to highlight. Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus loved Mary. Jesus loved Martha. But then you have verse 6, which is really unusual, if not disturbing. When Jesus heard this message, I mean, just imagine the messenger comes. He's been on a day or two day journey, finally finds Jesus. Hey, do you know where Jesus is? He's over here. He finally finds him and says, OK, the one that you love, Lazarus, he's he's dying. It's been a couple of days already, maybe a day or two. And and he and he needs you The Mary and Martha, the those two sisters that have cared for you. They want you to come. And Jesus says, OK, let me wait a couple of days. I mean, who says this? Who acts like this? How is it that the delay of Jesus is also a demonstration of his love? Or maybe we should just ask, is it possible that the delay is a demonstration of his love? And I would say it is. And I want to try to get at why some of the reasons why Jesus would have been delaying. One important reason is for us to to fix in our minds permanently that Jesus operates on a different time clock than you and I operate on. That that must be permanently affixed in our mind. That that he just is operating on a different time clock and and you see it in a number of different ways. You you remember when uh, Mary, Jesus's mother, comes to Jesus and says, hey, we have this real social problem. The wine has run out before the wedding has run out. And so we need to whip up some more wine here real quick. And is there anything you can do, Jesus? And sort of abruptly, he says, woman. What what do I have to do with this? My my time has not yet come. In other words, you can't use your you can't leverage your relationship with me, mom, to get your way. I'm on a particular time schedule. I'm not listening and operating according to your time schedule. I'm listening and operating to God and I'm operating according to his time schedule. And he may not have the same urgency as you have. And so. Jesus does this in John chapter two. You might remember in Mark chapter five, Jesus is walking along and this very important man named Jairus comes and finds Jesus and says, my daughter's dying. Can you come right away? And Jesus says, yes. And he turns around, and he starts going to Jairus's daughter and an old woman who's unnamed, very unimportant, poverty stricken, worn out, spent all her money trying to tackle some health issues she sneaks up in between the popular powerful crowd and says if i can just touch the garment of jesus's clothing i could possibly be healed and she does and when that happens jesus understands something has happened and he stops the progression and says hold on let's find out something just happened somebody touched me so he stops the progression and he's looking around what are you thinking if you're jarius the important person 
I don't care who touched you. I need you to touch somebody else. He finds the woman and then he says, would you tell me your whole story? An old, poor, worn out woman. You know how long that story is going to be? Not not a couple of seconds. Meanwhile, a messenger comes from Jarius's house and he taps Jarius on the shoulder and says, hey, Jerry's too late. Daughter dead. Jesus completely unfazed. Why? He's on a completely different timetable than what you and I are on. He's in complete control. Even if it's over death, he's in complete control. Even at his own death, when at the Garden of Gethsemane, the soldiers come and find Jesus, he steps out in front of him and says, I am he. And you know what happens to all the soldiers? They fall down. And it's a way for Jesus to say, guys, I'm going to let you have some control, but I want you to know I'm in control. I'm on a time clock. You happen to be players in the game, but I'm on a time clock. I'm running the show here. No matter what happens to me, I'm in complete control. No matter what happens to you, I'm in complete control. So even though it may look like I'm delaying, I am in complete control. And we have to have that firmly fixed in our minds. One of the greatest challenges, I think, in becoming a Christian is coming to grips with this fact that you're no longer the center of the universe. God is at the center and everything revolves around him. Jesus isn't operating according to your plans But according to his, he's not operating according to your morals. He's not operating according to your sense of fairness. He's not operating according to your dreams and desires. He's not operating according to your mindset, your spirituality, your worldview, your timetable. When Jesus, when you come to Jesus, it's all about Jesus. And unfortunately, what happens is we hear that God loves us and what we assume is that and he mostly affirms everything about us. And that's not true. The reason we know that's not true is clear in John chapter three, when the most powerful political figure comes to Jesus, who also happens to be the most religiously orthodox Figure comes to Jesus when this man named Nicodemus, who's got all the worldly power, he's got all the religious stature. He comes to Jesus and Jesus sizes up Nicodemus and says, you know, it's time to start all over with you. You got to be born again. You know, all the stuff that you could value your religion, all the stuff you could value your political power. Yeah, that's not worth starting with. We've got to start all over again. We've got to build from the ground up. God isn't here to tweak anyone's life. No one here needs tweaking. 
That would be a good quote for you at some point. Yeah, Pastor Paul, nobody here, you need total resurrection. You need a totally new, new life. All of the ways you're operating, God is going to say, no, let's change that and let's make me the focus of that operation. And so when things are happening and you have an urgency of time, and it doesn't appear as if God is operating according to your time schedule. Just say, that's right, he's not operating according to my time schedule. And his delay may be simply a kindness to you to say, hey, I'm in control. Even though it looks like things are spinning out of control and I'm not stepping in right now, don't be worried. I'm in control. So I think that's one reason he has a delay. I think there's at least one more. I think it's a, uh, the delay is a is designed to powerfully prove that Jesus has the power over death. Back in the first century and even beyond that, um, you know, if you died today, you can't really be dead until some doctor declares that you're dead, right? And they got to give you a death certificate and they got to put embalming fluids in you and all that stuff. But back then, you know, they could say you were dead after a few days, but maybe you just have a real high heartbeat and they can't get a pulse. And who knows? And, you know, just a couple of days in some uh, a nice, you know, airy room. And OK, I feel better now. And so because it sort of seemed like people were dead and then they would come back to life, a belief grew up in the first century that the soul would hover over a dead body for three days. That's what they believed. And the soul would hover over the dead body. This isn't what Jesus believed, obviously. But the soul would hover over the dead body, hoping that the body would resuscitate. And then it could be there and enter back into the body. But after three days, there was so much decay, so much odor. The soul went away and it was impossible for the body to come back to life. What day does Jesus show up on? Day four. See, it's impossible for this to just be some resuscitation. Some divine appointment is needed if Lazarus is going to come back. So Jesus is powerfully proving that this isn't any sort of random thing. This is something no one else could possibly do. One Last thing that I think is important here, and you can see it in verse 14 and 15, the, the delay is designed to make a substantial contribution to the faith of the disciples. You see, you see this unusual response that Jesus has to his disciples. They're questioning him. And he says, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. What an unusual response. But, but it's for this purpose that you may believe. Listen to Leon Morris's explanation of that statement. Without a doubt, the disciples were already believers. Yet their faith was not strong. There are new depths of faith to be plumbed. The raising of Lazarus will have a profound effect on them and give their faith a content that it did not have before. The design delay is to give a content to their faith that it didn't have previously. There's something more important than life itself, and that's faith. And so Jesus is trying to build that muscle by delay. Most of us understand 
this concept in principle. Everyone knows that a small child has no concept of delay for the sake of an increased advantage. That, you know, a child lives in the moment. Everything's just happening right now. They don't have a, a, an understanding of something a week later or a, a month later or a year later. Why? They just can't see that. So when they want something, when do they want it? Right now. And they'll be happy to tell you about it, probably in a nice, loud voice. I've got to have it right now. My world can't go forward if I don't get that right now. One of the main reasons we're in a country with financial stress, people in financial stress, adults, is they think they should have what they want when? Right now. I have to have the car right now. And I can get it if I can just make the monthly payments. Not if I can pay for it, just if I can make the monthly payments. I got to have the house that my parents worked 40 years to get. I got to have it right now. I got to have the newest fashion right now. I can't get the old fashion because then that's out of fashion. So I got, I've got to have the stuff right now. And you know, there are some Christians who live that way. They've imported that into their Christian life. And when they say, God, I need you to do something right now. They're not able to understand that God could delay for some purposes that are for their benefit. And when they don't get it, they say, it's got to be right now. And so the design may be just to help work on that muscle of faith that you need to work on. Well, Jesus does come eventually to Bethany and he has these two encounters, one with Martha and one with Mary. Notice that their question, verse 21 and verse 32, are the same questions. They, they both come to Jesus. They both ask the same question. Lord, if you had been here or they make the same statement, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus has two different responses. Both of them are important. I don't think. They're scolding Jesus uh, in either case. I think they're just they, they're having a normal question. We've seen you do so many miraculous things. If you it just if you had been here, we're sure you could have done something for the one that you love. And so Martha has this conversation with Jesus in verses 21 through 27. And it's a similar conversation. You can read the verses on your own. But Martha's thinking about the resurrection in the future. And Jesus is talking about a resurrection that's going to happen in three minutes. And so they have this conversation. You can see that they're missing each other. Or I would say Martha's missing <laughs> Jesus. But that's we understand. Look, we would be Martha if we were in that situation. And and, and finally, Martha says um, in verse 24, Look, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And I think with some effort, Jesus says, I am the resurrection. It's not something that's going to happen in the last day. I'm it. I'm the resurrection. I'm trying to get you and everyone else to see it is, is that I'm the destination. I'm the one that you should be looking at right now. 
And so Martha and every reader of the gospel, Jesus constantly through the gospel is trying to say that I'm not simply granting resurrection, but I am the resurrection. I'm not simply granting life sustaining bread. I am the bread. I'm not simply shining light into the dark world. I am the light of the dark world. I am. Everything's pointing to me. I'm the destination. And over and over, Jesus makes that clear. That when you become a Christian, the main thing you get is not heaven or eternal life. The main thing you get is Jesus. And he's the door and he's the destination. So you're not just using Jesus to get something that you want. You're not just using Jesus to get eternal life. You're not just using Jesus to get relationships with your parent who has passed on. You're not using Jesus to play golf eternally. You're not using Jesus to get any of those things. Jesus has said, I'm the way and I'm the the destination. I'm the sign and I'm the arrival point. Everything in the whole world is pointing to Jesus. And it took me a long time in my Christian life to really realize that. I think I was a Christian a long time believing that Jesus was giving, was the way to give me the things that I wanted. Not understanding that what I really wanted, what I was really built for, was him. And so I hope it doesn't take you that long to figure that out. Mary comes to Jesus. She has a little bit different emotional disposition, at least at this particular point. And you can understand she comes to Jesus. She doesn't have the ability to have a conversation. Just one statement. Oh, you've just been here. She can barely get that out through her tears. And then you have this unusual emotion back from Jesus. He's deeply moved or greatly troubled. He's crying. And this this movement in the Greek means he's agitated. He's outraged. It's the, the, the word picture is the snort of an angry horse. <laughs> so something's happened. Some, some kind of disturbance has happened. And I'm just, I just can't, I can't even say anything. So I, I just, oh. And if you read ten commentaries on why Jesus did that, you're going to get about seven different answers. Some of them are, maybe he's just agitated by disbelief. Hey, if I mean, if he could heal, heal a blind man, sure, certainly he could have done something if he had been here on time. And so, what a snarky comment here in the midst of this pain. Maybe he's agitated with the Jews that came to Mary because he's being reminded that they, they're going to reject him. Maybe he's having this feeling because he just sees Mary's pain and it's the consequences of sin and he doesn't like seeing the emotional damage that death creates. Maybe he feels a shift in weight. See, see, when he comes to Lazarus to raise Lazarus from the dead, the first time it's only going to take a phrase. Lazarus, get up. But to raise Lazarus for the second time, it's going to take something different. And he's feeling that shift right here at this tomb. 
I mean, I don't know. It seems to me they could all be happening at the same time. If you ever visit a grave of a deceased loved one, you have all kinds of emotions coming at you, and maybe that's what's happening. Well, finally, we have the great statement, Lazarus, come forth. And he does, and, of course, you want to, if you're like me, you'd say, John, you should have wrote something about that. I mean, what was the dinner conversation like that night? That's what I'd want to know. Hey, what was it like, bud? To four days. I think there's a reason that that wasn't written. Because that's not important. That would point to Lazarus' experience. And everything in the Bible is pointing to Jesus. So that gets left out, and then we see the result, finally, and we'll close here. Jesus' effort to bring back his dead friend leads to his own execution. He comes, and he makes the perilous journey. He does raise his friend from the dead, but people go the two miles back into Jerusalem, and they stir things up. And from that point on, as we'll see as we read through the rest of the gospel, They're trying to put Jesus to to death. And you see it, don't you? One good man substitutes his life for a man wrapped in death. One good man comes into the scene and he substitutes his life for a man wrapped in death. He reminds me of John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? He will lay down his life for the sheep. And so John is really asking the same question every single week. And he's asking it to Mary in this particular case. He's saying to Mary, Mary, yes, there there is a resurrection on the last day. But what I want you to see is I want you to see me right now. I am that way. You need to be focused on me right now. Anyone who believes in me, though he may die, yet he will, what? He will live. And he looks at Martha, just like I'm looking at you right now, and asks this question, do you believe this? Is that what you believe? If it is, then you say, I'm a disciple of Christ. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a Christian. I'm, I know everyone's going to die, but I'm trusting that, you know, I'm not really going to die. I'm going to pass from one place to another. This afternoon, Dan Parham, we celebrate the life of his mom who lived for 95 or so years. And we'll, some of us will gather together and We'll be around Dan and we're going to tell Dan. She trusted in the door and she got the destination. There, there is somebody that has the power over death and that's Jesus Christ. And the question for you and I is, do you, do you believe that? Is that what you believe? If you do, then Jesus says, come, be reminded of my grace, be reminded of my sovereignty, that even in the midst of delay, 
I'm in control. Come and remember that I am the good shepherd, that I've, I lay my life down for the sheep. Gladly, I've given myself, my body for yours, my life for yours, my righteousness for your sinfulness. If you're not a Christian, it's a good time to just stay seated and ask yourself, what is it that I believe? There will be a day that I die and what's going to happen at that day? What what's my destination and what doorway am I using? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is uh, an important passage. But the most important thing is you. And so I know that there are people here that are wondering about Christianity. And I pray that you would address their questions. There are people who are wondering about your delay. And may you address them. There's Dan and Will and his family. May you kindly address them today. That you are the resurrection, that you are the life. Anyone who believes, yet though they die, they will live. You do your work now, we pray, through these common elements. In Jesus' name, amen.